Good morning and welcome. How are you all doing? Hey, <laughs> getting a few waves up the back. Hello, hello, hello. Hello there, yes. I'll stop now, otherwise I'll be waving the rest of the time here. Good to see you all. Um, as Aaron shared, my name's Oliver and I'm normally over at the Hurstbridge campus and today I am very blessed and thankful and excited to be with all of you. <laughs> Sounds like you're mediocrely excited to be with me. If you have your Bibles, um, open to Mark chapter 10, as Aaron was leading us to, and we'll read from verse 17, this um, encounter that Jesus had with this man. And it's a powerful story. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or children or father or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray to prepare our hearts as we delve into this passage together. Lord, my desire today is for everyone to receive everything that you desire through this time. And Lord, I want to do my best to play the part that you've given me in that, Lord. I want to be available to you, Father. I want to be wholly dedicated, given over to you, Lord Jesus, that you might be able to speak forth what it is. And Holy Spirit, I uplift by your power, not my own, my brothers and sisters here, that they would play their part, Father. 
that they would open their hearts to receive everything that you desire them to receive. Not what I desire, Lord, but what you desire, Father. May it be received, Lord. May the work that you are desiring be accomplished today as we each play our parts, Father. And of course, you are going to do your part. You love to do your part, Father, far much more than we do. And as we grow in the realisation of playing our parts well, we grow in the joy that is yours as you play your part. And we realise, wow, I love to play my part as well, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you always play your part and that we can rely on. Amen. Amen. Lovely. Well, lovely passage. Very challenging. Jesus is very upfront, as he always is. <laughs> it's the great man, Jesus. The only man who could have played his role. It says at the start here that he was setting out on his journey. And I want you to recognize that in the coming chapters and passages, Jerusalem is looming in the background. So Jesus is beginning to head towards Jerusalem. The very next verse after our passage is verse 32, and it says this, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And there's this little story there about the effect that that is happening on people as they go up to Jerusalem. But know that Jerusalem is in the background. That's where Jesus is heading. And so he starts out on his journey there, and as he's starting out, a man runs up to him, kneels before him. And uh, you all know this, but this is not a very common everyday occurrence for someone to run up and kneel before someone. And even, even in, with Jesus, we do see this on occasion, but it doesn't happen all the time. Not everywhere he goes, this happens. And so we see on a few occasions people kneeling, begging, imploring Jesus, running up. You know, <laughs> he's about to leave. I've got to catch him before he gets out of town. Bang! <laughs> And he's there. And so in that, this man is expressing this desire, almost like a desperation. And he asks this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is on his heart. There's almost a desperation in him as he's going after Jesus. What must I do? This is my opportunity. And he wants to take hold of it. And there's this questioning that he has about eternal life. I want to receive eternal life. I'm not sure if I've got it. And I want to know, and this man can help me to know the answer. And I want to focus in on this word, good, and the presence of that word good, and the absence of that word good over the next coming verses. So he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And this stood out to me as an interesting thing. Well, he should call you good then. You're God, Jesus. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus challenges him. You're calling me good teacher. You're essentially saying that I'm like God. Only say that if you think I'm God. And then notice then the absence of the word good. The next time he addresses Jesus, what does he say? Teacher. He doesn't say good. He says, teacher. He says, all right, you're not God. I won't call you good. Do you see that? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus challenges him on that. And then he says, all right, I won't call you good. And I want to take you to a definition um, that Jesus 
gives us in John 17, verse 3, of eternal life. And this really bears heavily on this passage from the start. Jesus says this, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Did this man know Jesus? Did he know God? Did he have eternal life? (laughs) There's a question here that he has. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay, teacher. Eternal life is to know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. But the story unfolds about eternal life. It's fascinating. So Jesus asks him, you know the commandments, like you, you're a Drew, you've, you've grown up in this society, you know the commandments, you know, and Jesus just reels off a couple. What does he say? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And the guy says, man, I've done this since I was a youth. See how he's made it? He said, there's this almost excited and expectant response. Maybe then I do have eternal life. All these I've kept since my youth. And it's interesting, if you consider that, I want you to consider your life since your youth. Could you say that you have done this? That you have not murdered? That you've not committed adultery? You haven't stolen? You haven't borne false witness against someone? You haven't defrauded and you've honoured your father and mother? I reckon there's a few of us who could probably say we've done that. Like this man, I've kept these since my youth. And then Jesus moves on and he sort of says, this is like a foundational thing. Know the commandments, keep them. And then he starts going deeper. And he looks at the man and it says he loved him. Interesting thing that it just puts in there. I'll come back to that. It says that he loved him. And then Jesus says, you lack one thing in all of this. Let me tell you what you lack. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. When Jesus says this, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and then follow me, one of those things cannot happen without the other. You cannot follow Jesus and not sell all of your possessions. I'm clothed, so I clearly haven't done that. Jesus was clothed, and his disciples were clothed. But Jesus says, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I want to turn briefly to Matthew um, in the Sermon on the Mount, just to emphasize this point and make it abundantly clear to us, again, from Jesus' teaching. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is what Jesus was just referring to. Sell it all so that you will get treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's powerful, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your treasure in heaven or is it on earth? And then further on in verse 24, he makes it very exceedingly abundantly clear about following him. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And just in case we're not clear, 
He says, you cannot serve God and money. Bang. <laughs> Very clear. And so it makes sense then that he would encourage this man in this way. And he would say to him, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Because you can't come follow me until you've done that. If you've got that within yourself, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You're not going to be able to follow me. And then the man responds. And it's, it's a heartbreaking response, actually. It's a heartbreaking response. This is what it says. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And in that moment, when the man responds to what Jesus has said, there is an exposure of his heart that was previously hidden. It was kind of covered. And then at that point, his heart is exposed in how he responds. The man is disheartened and he goes away sorrowful. You contrast that with how he came, this sense of anticipation, running, kneeling before Jesus, asking this question, and then the way that he leaves, disheartened and sorrowful. Like, wow, Jesus, what did you do? He loved him consistently. But what happened to this man was that his possessions were actually in possession of him. This man's possessions were in possession of him. He had great possessions. And essentially, he came to the point where he realized, I want eternal life so badly. This is what I'm here for, this desperation, running and kneeling but I can't let go of this. And in that place, it's just like, ah. Oh. And that's where the sorrow and the disheartenedness kicked in. So then Jesus, the man goes away and Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. And I'll just read this section again. Jesus looked around at this point and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And this is a fascinating thing. And you see this, Jesus does this on a few occasions. He'll say something. And there'll be sort of this response, and then he'll say it even more intensely. And the response becomes even more intense. You see Jesus do that on a few occasions. And this is one of them. He says, it's going to be difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of earth, uh, enter the kingdom of, of God. And I want you to notice here how the disciples respond and to test your heart with how you respond to the words of Jesus. Very easily, we've become very used to these words. We've read them, we've known them, we've heard them taught, preached, and all sorts of things. But consider the disciples. These men were physically with Jesus for you know, two or three years. They were coming to this place where they just, when Jesus said something, that was gospel. That's true, hey? <laughs> Jesus says something, it's gospel. But they were in that place. Look at their reaction. Jesus says how difficult it will be and, and they're amazed. There's this sense of amazement at his words. Then Jesus intensifies what he says, and he says, it's actually like this. If you're a rich person, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got less hope than a camel passing through the eye of the needle. Look at the disciples' response. 
they were exceedingly astonished. Do we respond like that when we hear the word of Christ? Do we respond and take what Jesus says as gospel and have this exceeding astonishment within ourselves or this amazement at his words? We need to learn from the people who are with him physically how they treated his words like gospel. And essentially, it's an amazing thing. They end up, the 12 disciples end up in the same place as this guy who goes disaway, disheartened and sorrowful and moves away. They said, who can be saved? If you're saying a rich person you know, is like the camel going through the eye of a needle, I consider my life, you know, they're probably thinking, I might have the leg of the camel. You know, okay, I've got the leg of the camel. No, I still can't get that through the needle. You know? Maybe one of them was really poor. Okay, I've just got the hoof of the camel. I'll try and... No, I can't get that through. Maybe just the toenail of the camel. They don't have toenails. I don't know. I don't... Maybe they need cutting. I... But you get what I'm saying. The smallest part of that animal cannot get through the eye of that needle. Then who can be saved? You see it, don't you? Who can be saved? They really believe it was gospel, Jesus' words. Who can be saved? And this is the amazing thing that Jesus' conversation takes them to the same place that this man was. They're like, I'm not going, how can I inherit eternal life? And the disciples come to the same place. How can I inherit eternal life if it is, you know, the rich can't even enter and I haven't even got the toenail, you know? I, I can't even enter with the toenail of that camel. And then Jesus comes with these words and he says, in verse 27, he looks at them and says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And brothers and sisters, I just want to put a warning out here. It's very easy to come to the sweet verses. (laughs) And I've done this, I've been guilty of this, and I need to warn myself against this, and I want to put this warning out as well to all of us. But it's very easy to come to the sweet verses and not to consider the weight and the gospel of the difficult verses, the power in them. And that helps the sweet verses to become so much sweeter in their rightful place. With man it is impossible, with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, I want to ask this question here. Why did Jesus not say that to that man who went away sorrowful? Why did he not say, what you have to do is sell all that you've got, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. But don't worry. What's impossible for man is possible with God. Why didn't he say that? Now you're asking that question as well. Sometimes it can be confusing, but let's think and pray into this, and I'm going to unpack this. I believe that Jesus did not say that to that man because he could not receive it. That man could not receive that word. He wasn't in a place where that word would have availed him anything. Let me unpack this for you. Essentially, that man went away, and Jesus brought him to the best possible place that he could be. He needed to make a decision. Eternal life or my possessions? Riches in heaven, treasure in heaven, riches on earth, treasure on earth. What is it going to be? You can't hold on to both. They'll pull you apart. 
and you end up going in one direction or the other. And Jesus brought that man through that point to the best possible place he could be face-to-face with a decision that was probably lurking in the back of his mind, in his subconscious, but realizing, I've got to face this question. I have to answer this for myself. What do I want? Eternal life or these possessions? Essentially, his outcome is, is either this. His, his choice is, is, is expressed in this way. No, I don't want to give up my possessions. I love them too much. Or, yes, I want to give up my possessions. I love them too much. A couple of words difference, but there's a big difference. No, I do not want to give up my possessions. I love them too much. Yes, I want to give up my possessions. I love them too much. That's the decision this man is facing. And I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, that since the beginning of creation, our Lord and God has never violated the free will of man. And he will never do that, I don't believe. God cannot make the decision for that man. Jesus being God, he could not make the decision for the man. He could show him the decision. This is the choice that you have to make. Your possessions or eternal life. But Jesus is saying, I can't make the decision for you. You've got to make it. And until he makes the decision, you see, he might come to the point where he says, yes, I want to give up my possessions. I love them too much. And then he tries and he says, I can't. These things are like stuck to my hands. I can't get away. At that point, that's when the word comes. What is impossible with man is possible for God. Oh, the sweetness of it, Lord. You can release those things, what I can't. But until he says, yes, this is what I want to do, God can do the impossible, what man cannot do. But God says, I choose to not violate your free will. And that's an expression of my love to you. And this is why this man could not receive this word. But who does he say it to? There is a place and a time for that word. And he says it to the disciples. And Peter, in the very next breath, after Jesus says this, he declares this, See, we have left everything and followed you. They're in the place where they can receive that word. They've been willing to let go and to follow Jesus. They've taken the step. They've done it. And they continue to do it. It's an ongoing process. But that's why that word is relevant and able to be received by the 12 disciples. Because they're in that place where they're saying, yes, Lord, there might be things that I hold on to, but I want to take hold of eternal life far more than anything else. Sometimes I find it hard to let go of things, but you can help me release it. That's where the word is relevant, that, that particular word. So, I want to compare to, for you um, verse 21 and verse 27. Verse 21, I'll just read it, uh, the initial part of it. Jesus is talking to the man and it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. And then verse 27, with the 12, the disciples, it says, Jesus looked at them and said. So he's looking at both of them. My question is this. In verse 27, when Jesus looked at the disciples and was about to give that word to them, 
did he love them? It's a bit of a no-brainer for me. <laughs> Answer is yes, of course. Jesus always loved him. In fact, in John 13, he says, I have loved these people and now I will love them to the last, to the finish. And that's when he washes their feet. Of course Jesus loved the 12 disciples. So why didn't Mark include it there? Why did he include it in one place and not the other? Why did he say Jesus looked at him and loved him when he had the same action in another spot? Why was it necessary to include in one spot and not the other? And I believe the answer is this. It was because of the wealthy man's response. You can look at the two outcomes and the 12 was, the, at the end of that day, the 12 were still following along with him and they're rejoicing, thankful to God that they have, you know, a God who can do the impossible. And then there's a man who is left sorrowful, disheartened, just down in the dumps. Man, that guy's day is ruined. He's weak, you know. How is he going to recover from that? Look at the contrast between those two responses to the words of Christ and you will see that Christ loved both consistently. And that's what Mark's saying here. It, it's Mark's who's commentating, he's, he's narrating and putting those words in and he's saying, the love is consistent, it's the same. When he looked at that man and that man went away disheartened and sorrowful, it wasn't Jesus being spiteful or trying to take him down or like, rich fella, blow him off, you know. Jesus doesn't work like that. He loved that man and he loved him and gave him the best possible word, brought him face to face with the decision that he needed to make to inherit eternal life. That was love. And the response to that man to love at that point, <laughs> he went away disheartened and sorrowful. And that can be a right and appropriate response. It would have been wrong if he'd been like, oh, whippee, <laughs> hey, thank you, Jesus, you know, and ran off. Because, why would that have been inappropriate? Because it would have shown that he didn't value eternal life, and he does value it, but he's valuing these other things more greatly. And Jesus is saying, this is where you need to come, this is where you need to be. Think in this place, make this decision. So Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said that hard word. Jesus looked at the disciples, doesn't say it, but I believe he consistently loved them, and he gave them this good word as well. And it's interesting how with um, the man, he starts off with an easy word, something that probably many of us could put our hands up and say, yep, I've done that. Not murdered, not committed adultery, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I've done that since my youth. Starts off with an easy word and then came to a harder word. You've got to sell everything and then come and follow me. Whereas with the disciples, it started with this hard word and they led to this place, who can be saved? And then from that place, Jesus gave them the good word. It's all good words, it's all gospel, but you get what I'm saying. A hard word and an easy word to take. I suppose to stomach, to receive it. So then, the tail end of this, Jesus wraps this up and he says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time these things with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And Jesus is saying, this is the harvest. This is the fruit of your actions. If you're able to do this, this is what you're going to get. And he prefaces with the word truly, very truly. 
It's going to happen. If you do this, this is what you will receive. And there's this hundredfold of coming back of blessing for releasing. When there's that tension, you're like, oh, I want to lay hold of eternal life. And there's a release to lay hold of it. What you've let go of, you receive a hundredfold more, truly. Then he includes this word that's not so nice, persecutions. But again, I want to take you back to um, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And the persecutions are actually, by faith, a blessing. This is Jesus' Tail end of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word has come up in our passage, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. Where? think you got it. In heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What Jesus explained there, this list that he said, you will get all of these things, mothers, brothers, children, lands, and with it persecutions. The persecution is a suffering in this life, but it's a blessing in the life to come. And Jesus said the right response to persecution is, yeah, yeah. And you see his 12 disciples walking that out when they were later in the book of Acts dragged before the Sanhedrin and they were whipped and they went out of that place after being lashed and they considered it that they had great thanksgiving for suffering for the sake of the name. You see them walking this out, this blessing, this pure joy through this trial. All of it is blessings in the life to come and in this life. And then notice the last thing that he says in this list, it's in the age to come, and he brings it full circle and comes back to eternal life. In the age to come, you'll receive eternal life. Beautiful, beautiful. And again, have in the back of your minds there eternal life, what Jesus said in John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they know me, know my Father and the Christ whom he sent. And you look at that and you think in the age to come, knowing God and Jesus the Son in that intimate way. Eternal life, flourishing from within. So, I'm going to bring this home now. (laughs) May have felt like I was cutting close to the bone. I want to come a bit closer. (laughs) Why? Because I want to love you. Again, continue to open your heart to the Lord. But what I desire for each of us now, and I've been doing this already throughout my week as I've been preparing towards this, but I want you to place your life within Jesus' words here. There's a place where your life fits And you need to do that in humility, in honesty before the Lord, for your sake, for your sake, 
find yourself in the right place in Jesus' words. What I'm saying is this, it's very easy to rush to all things are possible for God. But find yourself in the right place first so that the sweet taste will be sweetest in the right way that God desires. Do you know the commandments? <laughs> As Jesus said at the start in response. Do you know the commandments? You know the commandments, you know. Do not commit adultery, do not murder. Come to church on a Sunday. Read your Bible. Pray really hard, be in a growth group, serve in the church. You know the commandments, don't you? You do them. You've been keeping them since you were a youth. What I'm highlighting here is that we can have a different set of commandments today, or those commandments, but also others. And I want to say to you, keeping the commandments is not wrong. It is good and it is right. But if you're going through like this man and saying, yes, I'm ticking off things on a Sunday or I'm doing what is right, I'm serving, I'm doing all these things, I'm being a good person, especially on a Sunday. <laughs> Around at home, all right, I'll do my best, but especially on a Sunday. Are you keeping the commandments? That's good. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you're going to need more than that. That's foundational. And those things, each one of those things are designed and there for you to enter into eternal life. They are not the, they are not the entrance themselves. You cannot enter into eternal life, but they're there to guide you into it. Coming to church, reading a Bible, praying, being a good person, serving in the church, all these things are great and they're designed to help you to come into more into eternal life, to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom He sent, eternal life. That's what they're designed for. But doing them in and of themselves, if that's all you're doing, you're keeping those commandments and ticking those boxes, not eternal life. Hear that? Not eternal life. Again, come before the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, show me where I am in this. In humility, it's all right. It's not going to be a surprise for God. Be honest. That's the best thing you can do for yourself right now. So these things are foundational to lead you there, but they're not the end in themselves. You won't arrive if that's all you're doing. You're not going to arrive. So then, moving through Jesus, what Jesus says, the next words that he says, if this is all that you're doing, then you're lacking one thing. What do you lack? To go, to sell everything and then follow Jesus. Do you lack that? What does it mean to sell everything? I clearly haven't sold everything. I believe what Jesus is honing in on here is when something that is in our possession has actually come around and become possessing of us. That is the important thing. And this is very, very subtle and very dangerous, brothers and sisters, and perhaps rife. But when something that is in your possession has come around to possess you, that's very dangerous. Can 
take many forms. And I was going through my heart this week. Is there things that are possessing me? And this thing came to my mind, which I received as a gift from someone, and it's a drop saw. And I thought, Lord, you know what? Actually, I can see that that thing has got a place in my heart that it shouldn't have. There's this sort of possessive nature within, within me that it's like, oh, I wouldn't want to give that up. You know, I wouldn't want to, I'd want to take that with me. You know, I want to protect it. Don't, don't you use it. I need to use it, you know. Do you have something like that, a possession like that, that you say, don't touch it. Children, stay away from the car. Don't play the guitar. That's mommy's favourite vase. I inherited that from the sixth generation. Are you possessed by these things, brothers and sisters? Have these things come and taken a place in your heart which is not its to take? I've gone through and done this for myself and I've identified this and I've said, that drops all can go to the flames. Is it a house or finances? Are you accumulating in your storehouses a mass amount of finances? And without realising it, as your finances have grown, they've come to actually take hold of your own heart. Or is it people? You're like, what are you talking about? We're talking about possessions here, not people. We're talking about people as well. Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, etc., etc. Do you have a person in your life, your wife, your husband, your children, who have actually, you feel like you own them? This is my wife, my children. Rightly so, but they were given to you. We received them. They are not yours. And in possessing these people, it might be your parents, in trying to lay hold of them as your possession, have you created a place in your heart where they shouldn't be, where they are possessed? If this is the case, then go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. I remember an occasion a couple of years back when I identified um, with my wife something that had taken possession of us and we had to deal very harshly with this thing. Um, wasn't a person. <laughs> we had to deal very harshly with it. Um, it was painful. It hurt me to do that. I'd never done anything like that before, but I was like, that's got to come out. I see what that's doing in my heart and I had to deal very harshly with it. And that is laying hold of eternal life and releasing. The other thing is, things can possess you that you don't even have. You might not have a house, but oh man, the dream of having a house has possessed you. You might not have the finances or the car. You might open those magazines and flick through the guitar amps or the, um, saw the, the tools or whatever and like, oh man, I'd love to have that tool or that. What's going on? Cut it out. It is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, it is easier 
for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But brothers and sisters, seek to do this. If you find yourself in that place, simply seek to do this. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to release these things which have got a hold of me. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's what I want. I actually want eternal life more than I want this house or this person or this whatever it is. What I want is this. Now you want to hear the sweet news? What's impossible for you, brothers and sisters, is possible for God. I want to say it to you again. What is impossible for you to do in that place is possible for God. He has made a way. All He needs is your willingness. He can't do that. That's your step. Come face to face with that if you need to make a decision. That's your step. All God needs is your willingness and then your trust. God, I trust that you can do what I cannot do, that I can release whatever it is. And in that place, it's simply a reception of the power of God to do that. Lord, I can't do this. I'm trying to let go. This thing is stuck. It won't come off. But I want that eternal life. Help me, Lord. In that place, wow, it comes. Seek it from the Lord and you'll find it. Ask and you'll receive. Knock and the door will be opened. For he who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, the door will be opened. And then all you've got to do, what's the next step? Follow the Lord. Follow Jesus. And then receive the blessings that come. What you've released, what you've let go of, what was so hard, the blessings will come and fill that up. But don't lay hold of the blessings either. <laughs> Wrong again. It's why it's needed to continually to check that. It's good to refresh this and have a look. But don't hold on to anything. Receive the blessings. Have them open-handed. Your wife might be a blessing. Your children. Oh, thank you, Lord, for these people in my life. But I don't hold them as a possession. And you know what the last thing the Lord says? Truly I say to you, you will receive eternal life in the age to come. That's sweet. I feel it internally. And I want to say to you, this is the last thing, that it actually doesn't matter where you found yourself in all of that. It doesn't matter if you found yourself surprisingly to yourself as far away from the Lord as what you expected to be, further, far further than what you expected to be. You know what? That doesn't matter. What matters is this, that you are honest and humble about it and that you know that God loves you in that place, just as he loved that rich young man. Didn't matter the place where he was. This was the word of the Lord to him and the Lord loved that man in that place. Just as he loved the disciples who were already following him and gave him that word. He loved all. Doesn't matter where you found yourself in that. The love of God meets all everywhere, wherever you are. And I pray that you would receive that. Let me do that now. Heavenly Father, oh dear God,
Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm just reminded of that slogan from the Billy Graham Association, which just says, good news, always good news, Father. We've all received good news today, even if it was hard to hear, even if it was hard to stomach, hard to swallow, hard to realise about ourselves or about that thing, whatever Holy Spirit you may have been prompting in our hearts. I do not need to know, Father. I need to know what's been in my heart. And I've brought that to you, Lord, what you revealed to me. But Lord, may we be able to move forward in the knowledge and faith, the belief that we believe, yes, Lord, even in this place you love me, And if you didn't love me, you actually wouldn't have told me this. You wouldn't have highlighted this to me. You wouldn't have helped me to see that this is an issue preventing me from obtaining eternal life, blocking my salvation. But thank you, Lord, that you've given good news today and that that is an expression of your love consistently. And thank you, God. Oh, dear Lord. You know how I'm increasing in my life of thankfulness and gratitude to you in this area. But thank you, Lord, that what is impossible with man is possible with God and that you have made what is impossible for us to become possible, Lord. Ah, thank you, Father, for this. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen.